0: Hey folks welcome back to the high performance human podcast i'm your host simon ward each week i'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer living healthier and of course improving your athletic performance this week my guest is eric hinman now back in 2014 eric was building a successful business while he was qualifying to race at the hawaii ironman world championships in kona He's now a content creator and social media influencer sponsored by dozens of consumer brands. He's also a health and wellness, tech and hospitality entrepreneur stroke angel investor. Eric's also the co-founder of two restaurants in New York. If you follow him on Instagram, he seems to live the life of a high-performance human. So, in this podcast I'm going to pick his brains on how he makes it all happen. So, Let's hear Eric's story. Welcome to the High Performance Human Podcast, Eric Hinman.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So you uh, you look like you're somewhere warm and sunny at the moment, Eric. Explain to the uh, explain to the listeners where you are at this particular I moment am. in time.
1: I am in a little slice of paradise in Moab, Utah, which is the desert, but we have twelve twelve thousand foot mountains uh, in the background, but this is kind of the adventure Mecca in the United States for mountain biking, off-roading, paddle boarding, any kind of water sports, hiking. Um, they have these magnificent arches in Arches National Park here, which is what Moab is known for. But yeah, it's it's just a place that begs you to be outside all day, every day.
0: It would be quite dismaying, I think, for um, some of our listeners to come to Utah because they'd realize that... Um, alcohol uh, alcohol's a little more difficult to come by, isn't it? If you want to go and have a few beers with your friends in an evening.
1: It is a little more difficult. I haven't drank in 10 or so years, so it's not something that ever crosses my mind. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but, you know, environment is so important in your lifestyle. And for me, my my lifestyle is very much based around, you know, outdoor activities and exercise. Yeah. So I enjoy being in an environment where, There's really, you know, no pull to, you know, drink or or participate in nightlife. Um, I like feeling good day in and day out. And Mm. I've just found that alcohol for me uh, really affects my ability to perform physically and mentally.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you on that one. I, I do like a, a nice glass of wine occasionally with my friends, you know, when we're kicking back. But the the, the big drinking years have gone behind me because it just seems like I have to I have to lose a day every time I have a couple of drinks. So uh, I'm not willing to trade those now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My rule of thumb is if it's going to greatly enhance the experience, you know, I'll have a few glasses of wine. So if I'm in, you know, a wine region of France, of course, I'm going to have a glass of wine or two. But, you know, outside of that, i I don't. Uh, I don't drink casually or just for entertainment. It's only if it's you know basically gonna. It's part of the environment that I'm in, and something that's gonna you know really make that a memorable experience.
0: Well, let, let's um, let's enlighten the listeners on how we came to meet Eric. I was at the Training Peaks Conference. Uh, I think it was four years ago now, four or five years ago in Boulder. And yep. you were presenting a, a small workshop, um, which a handful of people attended. Uh, it was a very personable thing around the table, and I think it was about it was about social media, wasn't it? And how to make social media work for you in your coaching business. And it was. I've I've been using social media to enhance as a business tool, not as a way of keeping in touch with friends. You know, I, I like the old-fashioned way of keeping in touch with friends of ringing them and you know hanging out with them. But I've been using social media as a business tool for quite some time now, and I was really taken with that. And so, I, obviously, I followed you on Instagram, and I've been following your progress ever since. And uh your Instagram following has gone from about 10,000 followers to about 60,000 now. So I'm, I'm interested in uh, ha, how you got to the point where Dirk and the guys at Training Peaks asked you to present to start with. Um, and then maybe we can sort of flesh that out a little bit with uh, your entrepreneurial life and, and where you're at now.
1: Sure. So I used to compete in Ironman Triathlon from 2010 until 2015. And I used training peaks. My coach was on there. That's where he would prescribe all of my workouts. And, you know, through on your man, I started to build a, a small following on social media. People were interested in my training, my nutrition, my recovery, and how I was balancing entrepreneurship with, with training long hours in order to, to get to Kona, um, And uh, 2015, 16, 17, that's when the following really started to grow. And I realized that, you know, brands were going to start using micro influencers as a marketing channel. You know, they were allocating more of their marketing dollars towards that instead of, you know, buying billboards or buying space on TV advertisements. So, you know, I recognized that and I started you know, creating good content for brands and making sure that I was adding value for my audience with everything I was posting. And, you know, Training Peaks was one of the companies that uh, I had been involved with. Um, And they had invited me to to Boulder, Colorado to speak about influencer marketing and how social media can help a business. And, you know, for me, it's become a personal brand. Um, You know, then it was very much around, Uh, Ironman triathlon and exercise, and now it's really become kind of a lifestyle brand, which has broadened the number of companies I'm able to work with. And you know, it's people that are just interested in my lifestyle, which you know is a lot of freedom to be able to do what I love every day. Very much based around adventure, health and wellness, exercise, um, and you know, meeting interesting people in that in that same space of health and wellness. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial
0: um, instincts, then. What 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 were you involved in I, I i seem to remember the conversation revolving around bars and restaurants but i may have got the wrong end of the stick there
1: yeah so right out of college i started a property and casualty insurance agency and that was a path that my father led me down and i always tell young people that um you know for your first opportunity right out of college as a young professional try and pick something where you can build residual income and you can build an asset for yourself and i was so fortunate that my father led me down that path of Building a business where you know I would sell an insurance policy, and I would put in you know quite a bit of work up front, but you know the work to maintain that relationship uh, would go down over time. But I still get paid the same amount of commission, and it's my own business, so it's an asset that I can eventually sell. So I did that for seven or eight years right out of college, and then I got involved in software. Uh, I partnered with a friend, and we started building mobile applications for clients across the country. And that was in 2010, early in the mobile app revolution. And we were lucky to be in Syracuse, New York at that time. And we had access to university students that were taking computer science and computer application building courses. So, you know, we had a number of interns that were doing all of the programming and design work for us. And we were more on the business development side of, you know, finding clients and creating relationships. And then I sold my shares in that company in 2014. And from there on, I've just been investing in passion projects. So again, partnered with a friend, we opened a couple restaurants in upstate New York. I opened a gym in upstate New York and then invested in different consumer brands like 10,000, which is uh, an apparel brand here in the U S that makes men's training apparel. Um, and then yeah, along the way, you know, built this following on social media with a niche audience and, you know, a, for. bird. My my trading time for money now is basically just creating content around my lifestyle. So it's essentially what I want to do every single day, working with brands whose products and services I love. And um, yeah, creating content around my life, which is very much health and wellness and adventure based. So to,
0: uh, without getting too deep into your finances, you did well enough um out of your early business opportunities to to that funds what you do now i suppose and then the the right. the um, businesses that you work with now just keep keep your pay for your adventures really you got it yep yep yeah. brilliant i'm sure there's a lot of people thinking ah how could i do that yeah sounds like uh sounds like heaven but of course when you have that dream it's important to have a dream isn't it and i, I always think you know we we need to create an avatar of what our perfect lifestyle looks like. You've described what yours is: having adventures, meeting cool people, going to great places. Yeah, you have an avatar of what your your life's going to look like, and then you work back to where you are now. And obviously, then there's a roadmap you need to create to get from A to B. Yep. And then you, and you just keep working at it, don't you? Putting little bits in place, and and I guess even now you're tweaking what you do. You know the places you want to live, the things you want to do. But still, um, most people looking in at what you're doing would say, "I'd like a piece of that."
1: Yeah. No, I'm a firm believer in manifesting things. And, you know, I believe we go through different chapters of our life. We go through chapters where we're collecting dots and connecting dots. So collecting dots would be, you know, you're saying yes to everything. You're meeting a lot of people. You're, you know, saying yes to lots of different uh, opportunities. And eventually, you know, you need to focus on one thing at a time to be really good at it. So, you know, I feel like everything in my life has been, from a series of just meeting a lot of people, building social capital, you know, amassing lots of varied knowledge. And then, you know, eventually taking all of those dots and figuring out like what direction I want to go and connecting them, you know, to build something out of it. And that was the restaurants that was, you know, being here in Moab now, you know, there's different things that have led to, to this, you know, getting there along the way, but yeah, I, I definitely have, Ideas of where I want to be, but I also let life just kind of take me where it's going to go. Mm.
0: Okay, let, let's talk about Ironman then now, because there'll be a lot of triathletes that are listening to this. So you said that you were training for Ironman as you were on that entrepreneurial path. How many hours would you say you were putting into your business at that point and, and developing your business? And then um, out of that, how were you able to do the Ironman training, get enough hours in, and still? Get the sleep and recovery that's important.
1: Sure. So I mean, I was probably putting in six to eight hours a day um, during that time period. I was running the software company, so I was going into an office every day from eight thirty until five thirty, and I just lived a very structured, disciplined life. I would get my first morning session in at five thirty in the morning, usually a pool session. Um, I would run at lunchtime, and then I would bike in the evening. Um, I was training you know, off season 10 to 14 hours a week. And then in season, I was training 14 to 25 hours a week as I, was build, as I would build up for an Ironman and the, and the world championships. So, you know, I wasn't traveling a lot during that time period. If I was traveling, I was staying uh, in a place where I could easily run. I would find a place where I could bike indoors. I would find a YMCA or a pool that I could swim at. Um, I would find healthy restaurants. I would find a recovery studio. I just I had everything really dialed in, you know, health and wellness, my training for triathlon, that really took the top priority um, from a lifestyle standpoint. I wasn't going out to you know bars. I wasn't really going out to dinner. My eating routine was on autopilot. I was eating pretty much the same things every day. So, yeah, yeah, you, if you're if you're balancing, you know two things, entrepreneurship and triathlon, which both take up a lot of time, like you need to make tremendous sacrifices. I didn't have a family. I didn't have any kids. So, you know, I didn't, you know, you only have so many glass balls that you can juggle Mm, and triathlon is very time demanding. And, you know, if you're balancing entrepreneurship, a family, kids, um, triathlon training, like, you know, you're, you're going to have to drop a glass ball. So it's difficult if, you know, you have a lot of different commitments when you're training specifically to qualify for the world Championships. You know, if, if you just want to do a half Ironman, you just want to complete a full Ironman, you know, it's a different story. You're still putting in a lot of training time, but, you know, it's really those 20 to 25 hour training weeks that, I mean, they yeah. take a lot out of out of you.
0: Yeah. I have coached quite a few athletes who've qualified for Kona as age groupers. And the, there's a, a whole number of characteristics that are similar between them, you know, balanced relationship if they're in a relationship, if they're not, then they lead very quiet lives. Pretty much as you've discussed, you know it's work and it's training, and they're just focused and they're also patient. You know, it's like building a business, isn't it? You, you've. It's very rare that somebody takes a triathlon and qualifies for Kona in the first year, unless they're mm-hmm. an extremely talented. It's it's hard work over many years to build that resilience and experience and emotional intelligence. It also, what you've just said there, reminds me of one of the um, biggest sports universities with a reputation for sport in the UK is Loughborough University and um, British Triathlon are based there. So we used to do a lot of teaching there for the coaches. And one of the um, off the cuff phrases that the students get used to is that you've got, you've got three S's to excel at. Well, you've got three S's to choose from, study, sport and social, but generally you're only going to be able to do two of them. Properly, yeah. you're not going to be able to do all three. So, you know what you've said there is studies work for you and sport is your triathlon. So there wasn't really any social. If you want to be a social animal, then you're going to fail at either sport or study.
1: So true. Yeah, during that time period, my entire friend group was, you know, people that I would train with. That, that was basically a um, yeah, very little social time after eight thirty. The people I interacted with, they were in triathlon. Um, but it's also a very individual sport. I would swim with people. But, you know, what? once I really progressed in the sport, all of my running and biking was pretty much done solo. You know, I had my training plan, I was sticking to it. You know, you have to embrace the process and you have to train smart, not just hard. And, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do well in triathlon. And, you know, for me, I came into the sport with strength and an anaerobic background. so you know, I really had to build that aerobic engine. So for me, it was just a lot of, you know, death marches, a lot of slow running at 130 to 135 heart rate. You know, 80% of my biking was done in that same heart rate range. And then 20% was done, you know, at threshold pace. And then swimming is where I would do the shorter sets and, and do more threshold work. But yeah, just long hours where, you know, coming from that CrossFit type background and that anaerobic nature you know, I told my coach, I'm like, I don't feel like I did anything. Like I went for an hour yeah. run and like at no point did I really feel like I was super fatigued. And he's like, that's what we want <laughs> because you can back that up day in and day out. And that's yeah. what triathlon comes down to is like, can you back up that kind of volume every single day for a year? We,
0: we talk about that a lot. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Phil Maffetone, but he has his yeah. uh, math, math heart rate, 180 minus your age. You know, um, it's easy to stick out in cycling most people struggle in running and they're, they're, they're walking and they get frustrated and they, they overlook the fact that you're training your cardiovascular system, not your ability to run. And if you stick at it, you get more efficient. But zone one and zone two is where it's at. And uh, in fact, um, the Olympic triathlon winner, Blumenfeld, the Norwegian guy, I don't, don't know if you've seen much of the Olympics, but uh, his coach posted that they use lactate um, blood lactate as a measurement of intensity and they try to keep the intensity for 80 percent of the sessions below one millimole which is basically you know just easy yeah but but that's you know those are guys who are doing 30 hours a week and 80 percent of that is is at an easy or moderate level yep and i know that a lot of age groups will say oh it's all right for them they've got you know They've got 30 hours a week, but that's all they've got to worry about. They're probably leading that life like you've described, or maybe even a bit more monastic. Whereas age group athletes have other stresses in their lives. So you don't want to be creating more stress by training hard and then struggling to recover. You need to do the stuff, as you mentioned there, that you can do day in and day out. um, Because
1: that's that's the consistency, isn't it? That builds success. It is. Yeah. uh, My coach at the time, he was beating me in triathlons and... You know, coming from a strength training and CrossFit background, I mean, I looked really fit and he didn't look nearly as fit as me, but he beat me in every race. So, you know, if you can't beat him, hire him. So I hired him and yeah, he was the one who really taught me to to train smart and not just training hard because I was doing everything at a 160, 170 heart rate. I was running hard. I was biking hard, but I wasn't putting in the volume because I couldn't, you know, my 45 minute run, I'd feel smashed after it. Um, and yeah, once he finally got me to understand that I had to slow down in order to speed up, that's when I started to to really excel in the sport.
0: Who was your coach, by the way? Let's give him a shout out. You've, you've obviously yeah. got a lot of respect for him.
1: Incredible human. His name is Michael Corona. Uh, he's based in upstate New York. I think he still coaches some athletes. Um, but yeah, incredible, incredible resource. And he studied under Phil Mathacon. So, um, yeah, you guys both share that. and. I truly believe in that marathon method. Oh,
0: good. Well, we'll uh, we'll put a link to Michael on the show notes if he's still coaching, so he gets a bit of uh, gets a bit of kudos for your uh, your success. So, uh, where did you qualify for Kona then?
1: In Lake Placid, 2013 and 2014. Um, I'm from upstate New York, and that was about three and a half hours away from where I was in Syracuse, New York. So, yeah, that was the race that I picked to do every year. The first year I did it, I. Um, I missed by one minute. My time was 10:01, and I missed by one spot. And I didn't know it at the time, but you know, I saw the the age on the person's leg who got that last spot to Kona. So that was my motivation to to do Lake Placid again in 2013. I qualified. I had a horrible race in Kona. The bike took me six hours, and I'm usually about a sub five hour guy. So. I just, I fell apart. The heat and humidity just ate me alive like it does many people. So that was my motivation to go back for 2014 and and do it again. And I had a great race in Lake Placid and then a great race in Kona in 2014. And I was continuing to train through 2015, but I really lost the the passion and purpose for the process. And ultimately, that's what you need to have is you have to love the process in order to do well in, in Ironman. And, uh, I started transition away from it. It had just, uh, you know, I'm so glad I did it during that time period because I learned so much about myself and it taught me so many life lessons, but, you know, ultimately it really, it it confined my lifestyle. So I have a much more balanced lifestyle now. So I love Ironman. I think people should do it. I just think it, you know, it's one of those things that is all consuming. And, you know, if it really sucks you in for a long period of time, I feel like you lose some balance in life.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is, um, you know, a lot of people see that as the pinnacle, don't they? They come into the sport and, I mean, I started triathlon in 1987. Did my first Ironman in Canada in 95. I did Lake Placid in 99 when it in the first year it was open. Wow. Uh, loved it up there. And kona was my peak in 2017 so that that was sort of 30 years almost to the day almost since i did my very first triathlon but it took me 8 years to transition to to ironman now we get people coming in and their first event ever their first triathlon ever is a, is an ironman and yeah. then you hear them say i'm downgrading next year to 70.3 or i'm only doing standard you know half half distance events or or Standard or Olympic distance events, as we call them, are way more manageable with a lifestyle, aren't they? You can do them, you can recover quickly. They don't, yep. they don't take away your, uh, you know, your ability to recover. You don't need to do as much training, obviously. So there's there's a little bit more longevity in it, I think. Um, and it and yeah, it it I think people see it as easier. It's not. It's just different.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's not easier. I would I would prefer to do a full Ironman than a half Ironman. Mm. Uh, you know, it it just comes down to what you know. Are you fast? Or do you have endurance and you have to be pretty fast to do well in a half Ironman and you're doing a lot more speed work. You're doing a lot more anaerobic work. Um, but the the training time is, is less, no doubt. Mm -hmm. So it's much more manageable and yeah, I really feel like there's more longevity and sprint Olympic and half and full is just a whole different beast if you want to do well in it, just because of those long, slow hours you have to put in and then the recovery that goes along with that and just how tired you're going to be from doing it.
0: So, if anyone visits your Instagram page, and we'll put the links to that, um, they'll see that you do an awful lot of training these days. You have adventures. Do you are you training for anything specific, or do you just try to get a balance in your life um, and just just be doing things every day that that keeps you fit without having a specific end in mind?
1: Yeah, I love the process. So I love my training mix now. I do generally about a ninety-minute CrossFit session in the morning. So strength training, complex lifts like back squat, front squat, deadlift, presses, um, Olympic lifting, cleans, snatches. Um, I'll do uh, anaerobic conditioning in that first segment. So short, hard uh, intervals on a rower, on an assault bike, or CrossFit Metcons, and then some gymnastics work and accessory work. I do that four to five times per week. And then I usually do about a 90 minute aerobic session in the afternoons. And that varies from mountain biking to road cycling, to trail running, hiking, road running. Um, so there's no real, you know, thing that I'm training for. I usually do a couple of competitions more as an obstacle. I like placing in my life each year. Uh Um, so for example, the Leadville 100 mile mountain bike race, I like doing that. That's a major obstacle. I'm not doing it, to, you know, place in the top five 10. I'm just I'm doing it to you know to compete against myself and see how well I can do. Um, I do the ultimate Hawaiian trail run every year, which is uh, about a 10k through the rainforest in Hawaii. Um, but not something I am like specifically training for. It's something with my training I can excel at and do well. Um, I did a HyROX race this year, which I did well at. Again, not training specifically for it, but you know, my my training does train me to do well in these optical type races that require endurance anaerobic capacity and aerobic capacity and you know some strength. So um but yeah, Sorry, Eric, about what, this-
0: what what was our last one? It was what did you call it? HyROX?
1: It's called HyROX. Yeah, they're a company based out of Germany and it's a functional fitness competition. It involves uh Eight 1K runs. And then in between each 1K run, there's a workout station. So it would be like a thousand meter row, a thousand meter ski erg, a hundred wall balls, um, a sled push, a sled pull, a farmer's carry, um, a sandbag lunge. So, you know, you have to be a good runner to be able to excel at it, but you also have to have strength because it's a very heavy sled push and sled pull. I believe it's 375 pounds. So you have to have some mass to be able to, to move that weight. So, you know, it's typically like a CrossFit type body that has a, a strong running background that that excels at the sport. And they just started in the US a couple of years ago. I think they're they're pretty popular in, in Germany and they're expanding into other places. But they're kind of like a indoor Spartan type race.
0: Okay. Well, as I say, we'll, we'll put a link to your... Instagram page and uh, people can see some of your um, sample workouts on there. There's quite a few, I think, with with uh, with some cool music playing and uh, you repping out the overhead squats and the yeah uh, you know, the, the the squat snatches and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it's very athletic, actually. And I, and I, you know, I I'm a weightlifting coach and I've worked with uh, elite athletes as a fitness conditioner, so I could do all that stuff. My shoulders are a little tight now, so the overhead squats are a little bit more challenging for me particularly since I broke this collarbone, but um, I've always enjoyed uh, Olympic lifting, and I've, you know, it's. I think people shy away from that because it's technical. It's as technical it as is. swimming, isn't it? And yet, um, if if uh, if your average endurance athlete could actually get up close to an Olympic lifter and see how how much power and explosivity they've got, if they could watch them jumping, doing. Um, uh, box jumps onto a onto a sort of one point five meter high box from a standing start they 'd realize that these guys have got some mobility as well
1: they do yeah it 's incredible it 's also interesting the translation so triathlon or you know endurance does not translate nearly as well to strength and anaerobic capacity as anaerobic capacity and strength training translate to endurance i mean you look at a lot of these top crossfit athletes I just hosted some in in denver for a training camp three of the guys that are competing today in the, in the crossfit games in madison wisconsin and like they hung with me in a trail run which is pretty amazing for you know a 200 pound incredibly muscular person that you know the males these guys can back squat 500 they can deadlift 550 they're snatching 280 they're clean and jerking 350 and they can run you know, seven twenty miles for seven miles, yeah. and they don't run often. So, you know, the the CrossFit training really lends itself well to endurance. Whereas, you know, when I was competing in Ironman, you know, I don't think I could back squat one eighty five. <laughs> you know, I couldn't do very many pull ups. Like, you know, a lot of Ironman athletes really neglect neglect the the strength training side. And you know, to be a great Ironman athlete, you don't need that, but to be a well-rounded athlete, it's nice to have strength too.
0: Well, well, and of course, and we're going to get into this, is triathletes generally, and I've been in this group myself as well, as a, as a punter as, and not just a coach, um, we think we're invincible because we've done Ironman. We've got that dot tattoo, and we think we can do anything. But actually, in terms of fitness for life, it's very biased towards the endurance. We, we're perhaps not as mobile, and I was going to say that our... Um, it would shock most people to find that the second most flexible group of athletes in the Olympic Games are the weightlifters after the yeah. gymnasts. Maybe, maybe the yeah. divers are in there too because most of those come from a gymnastic background, but the weightlifters are definitely in the top three or four most flexible group of athletes in the Olympic Games. I mean, you've got to be, haven't you, to, uh, to um, overhead squat 200 pounds. You've got to have flexibility in the hips and the, and the shoulders and the upper back. But triathletes, I think, miss out on a lot of those complementary skills, the the strength, the muscle mass, the power, the explosivity. And they've they've sacrificed it a little bit for pure endurance. And it it does concern me that then perhaps as they go through later life they don't have those things. And of course those are functional that those those impact our life function as we get older.
1: Yeah, I can't agree more. And you know, for me, so much of that mobility came from doing the lifts. It wasn't from stretching. It was from you know, sitting in an overhead squat position and doing Mm -hmm. a pause squat deep in the hole, same with front squat, developing that front rack mobility. Um, Mm -hmm. it was from doing that lift often. And, you know, it's obviously stretching out everything when you're doing those lifts. So yoga, I I preach yoga. I think it's incredible. Um, I was doing that all the way up until COVID and and the yoga, yoga studios were shut down. And then I've kind of lost my, my flow with it, but yoga was helping me tremendously with mobility and flexibility. But yeah, ultimately, I mean, if you're, if you're lifting, and especially the Olympic lifting, you're going to develop mobility through those lifts. So if you hate stretching, if you hate yoga, you know, start doing some of these Olympic lifts, and you'll get that mobility. And you can combine it to get, you know, strength training in as well.
0: Yeah, Um y- you know, for, for anybody who's worried about this, you can get hold of a bar that weighs ten kilos, a training bar, or even uh, even a big stick, a wooden stick that probably weighs no more than two or three kilos. So you can get into the positions without the load. So you, you and and you can start to move into that sort of overhead deep squat. You can get it. You can start to get those the the bar resting on your shoulders. Get your hands underneath there. The flexibility in the wrist, and get the elbows up. So so it's not necessary to go to a gym to to learn to do the lifts to start with is it you can you can go through some of those movements with with some basic equipment hell you can even use a broom handle if you want
1: so true yeah i started with a, a hollow pvc pipe just a hollow plastic pipe you know yep. maybe it weighs one pound if that <laughs> and that that was you know 2015 that wasn't that long ago um i wasn't able to overhead squat because i never did it with triathlon it was very awkward for me so and you know now i can put you know 300 pounds above my head overhead squatting so if you practice it religiously, just like practicing swimming, it's a skill-based activity, and like your body is going to adapt to it, and it's going to learn the proper mechanics. Do you, do you use kettlebells at all in your workouts? I do use kettlebells. Um, I don't do a lot of Olympic lifting with the kettlebells, but you know, I'm often doing farmers carries. I'm doing overhead walking lunge with the kettlebell, mm-hmm. um, kettlebell swings, certainly. Uh, but CrossFit workouts, they they typically prescribe dumbbells for a lot of the Olympic lifting. So, you know, dumbbell snatch, dumbbell clean and jerk. I would be using a dumbbell more often for the metabolic conditioning and the Olympic lifting portion. Mm. But it's an incredible tool to have at home. I mean, kettlebell or a dumbbell. I mean, you don't re- really need a lot of equipment to get a great workout in.
0: My uh, right down by my foot here, I've got 220s, two 216s, two and 212s. Yep. And uh, p- pretty much like you were talking about there, your, your 90 minute workout in the morning, my, my first 30 minutes is outside during the summer, uh, uh, a whole series of mobility exercises and uh, kettlebells and then finishing off with a 10 mil kettlebell complex, a 10 minute yep. kettlebell complex or something just different. And I I, I tend to, I tend to uh, assign exercises by their primal movement patterns. So I'll do a push, a pull, a hinge, a squat, a lunge, um, some sort of uh, rotational activity and then something getting up off the ground. So I, I do quite a lot of Turkish get-ups because I think I just find that as incredible exercise. If you combine it with um, snatches or kettlebell swings, it's uh, it's an incredible exercise for balance and coordination and um, sort of single arm
1: strength. Agree. Agree.
0: Okay. Well, uh, let's talk about the rest of your routine then during the day. So y- you've You seem to be a person who has a lot of structure in your life. Um, You've got your 90-minute workout in the morning. You've got your 90-minute workout in the afternoon. Um, Do you meditate at all? Do you do a gratitude diary? Do you pray? Have you got any other rituals that you like to perform each day?
1: Yeah, so I consider my mountain biking in the afternoon, my running, my hiking, I consider that moving meditation. Um, I put one song on repeat when I'm doing that activity. And I go by myself, I very rarely um, do those activities with others. And I mean, that just gets me into an incredible state of Zen flow state, mental clarity. So um, I don't meditate in the traditional sense of the word. um, But I I really consider that my, my meditation. And, you know, I learned that through the Ironman training of doing a lot of my training solo, I'm like, wow, like, I have so much mental clarity after these workouts and it's because you're in such a place of mental stillness for such a long period of time. So I, I do believe in meditation. I just like to do it in, in the form of a, of a mood, moving meditation. Um, you know, with all of the working out I do, I'm turning 41 this uh, on Monday and I have a recovery routine that I very rarely miss. Um, here in Moab, I have an ice barrel, which is basically a, a giant bucket it kind of looks like a plastic wine barrel sitting right there. Oh yeah, and then yes, we have a, we have a hot tub here. So I'll do multiple rounds of cold exposure and heat. So here we'll do a 5-minute ice bath and then about 10 minutes in the hot tub, uh 2 to 3 rounds of that every night. And then when I'm in Denver, Colorado, I have access to a barrel sauna and we'll do a routine of about 15 to 20 minutes in the sauna between 180 and 190 degrees and then uh, an ice bath for five to seven minutes, two to three rounds of that. and then I also use a juve red light for um, the, just to affect me at a cellular level. Um, you don't get the same feeling that you get from doing the the heat and cold where it's you know this endorphin rush afterwards but I do believe in that light spectrum and you know the the cellular benefits that you're getting from it. Uh love infrared saunas as well. When I'm traveling, I'll usually seek out an infrared sauna studio and I'll sit in the infrared sauna for anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes. Um when traveling, I'll you know bring piper ice products with me. They make like the percussion guns and the, the compression boots. Um but ultimately if I have access to heat and ice, that is my favorite recovery routine. I do it religiously, and it's the only way that I can continue to, to train the type of volume that I do day in and day out.
0: You sound like you've – well, I might be doing you a disservice here, but Ben Greenfield talks a lot of the same stuff that you do. I don't know if you're a, a follower of his or you, you're friends with Ben, but he, he's, he's very um, – He's very hot on the red light, the juve red light. He talks about that quite a lot. He, I think he's actually replaced all the light bulbs in his house for red light, so he doesn't get the blue light stimulus in the, in the evening. Um, he does a lot of talk about the um, contrast, hot and cold saunas, um, infrared saunas. I, uh, I I do similar myself. You know, I I, pro- um, I don't have the ice barrel here, but I just in the winter I do cold showers. The sh- I measured the temperature of the water in the winter here, and it's thirty one degrees. So oh no no sorry, it's not it's eight seven to eight centigrade. So that's cold enough for a two minute spell and then turn the water on hot. So I, I do 10 or 15 minutes of that, you know, alternating hot and cold. Um, it's good enough.
1: Uh, yeah, it's incredible. Ben is uh, as an incredible resource. I, yeah, I followed him through the years and tuned into his content when I was training for Ironman. I met him briefly, I think in 2013 or 14 at, at Kona. Yep. Um, but yeah, love everything he does. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely he's based his entire life around self-experimentation. So it's also easy to go, you know, overboard. I mean, I think I got up to like a 30 and in, 30 ingredient smoothie when I was following his, uh, his daily, his daily podcast. And, you know, I've simplified my life some to, you know, I'm not looking for like that extra 1% if it's going to create a lot of stress around my lifestyle. So I found those things where I get the biggest bang for my buck, you know, like You can go into the gym and work out for six hours and do like isolated movements, but you know, deadlift, back squat, front squat, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck doing those exercises. So I've kind of simplified everything in my life around that. Like, where am I going to get the most bang for my buck? What really fits well with my lifestyle? What allows me to be able to travel um, and continue to live a healthy lifestyle without stressing about, you know, bringing... 30 pill bottles with me and, you know, having my superfood smoothie every single day. So, you know, I think there's a, a balance you need to find with that of, you know, what works for you and what isn't going to become super stressful and like really restrict your lifestyle.
0: Mm. Yeah, I totally agree on that one. It has, has to be sustainable, doesn't it? And I, I like the simple things. Uh, talking to simple, what, what's what's your nutrition like? Are you, uh, do, do you follow any particular style of eating or do you just, have you just found a... Again, have you found what works for you, and, and if so, can you describe that
1: briefly? Yeah, I mean it's it's varied throughout the years. Ultimately, I like to stick to a structure. I like to. I think the key to diet is having it on autopilot, so you're not making too many decisions around eating. Mm-hmm. And for me, right now, I build my calories throughout the day. Um, I generally start the morning with coffee and, and collagen protein. Um, I'll put collagen creamer from Vital Proteins in my in my morning coffee. I'll do my first workout just on that. And then after that workout, I'll come home and I'll make a smoothie. And it's pretty simple. I do uh, a banana, some frozen blueberries, um, some kind of leafy green spinach, kale. Um, I do collagen protein powder from Vital Proteins, uh, some kind of alternative milk, either oat milk, almond milk, cashew milk. Um, I'll throw in a little bit of uh, almond butter, cashew butter, peanut butter. And then a bunch of ice. Blend that up, and that's my uh, that's my breakfast slash lunch after my morning workout. Um, I take creatine. I, I believe creatine is an incredible supplement for um, building and maintaining muscle mass. And then I'll go on my afternoon adventure. I might bring a bar with me, some kind of healthy meal bar. Um, I like Vital Proteins, their bars, and then Sands meal bar as well. Um, one is about 250 calories. The other is about 350 calories. Um, you know, drinking lots of water and having some electrolytes throughout the day. And then dinner is where I'll consume most of my calories. And lately that has been, um, steak on the grill, um, tenderloin, uh, corn, zucchini, and some kind of carb, whether it's a potato or, or rice. Um, and then before I go to bed, I'll have, uh, I'll have a little snack. I'll usually do, um, oat milk with this supplement called beam dream, which is, uh, melatonin l-theanine magnesium just different supplements to help you sleep um i'll put blueberries in that and a teaspoon of honey and that just like knocks me out every single night before i go to sleep um and if i'm hungry throughout the day if it's a bigger workout day i'll just supplement with more bars but yeah it's really just like smoothies up until dinner and then a a fairly large dinner
0: Mm. and you're talking about sleep there do you you, what, what do you do in terms of sleep do you do you have a pre-sleep routine? Do you um, or do you just let it happen organically?
1: Yeah, I mean, every day it's about the same time. I'm getting to bed around ten thirty, falling asleep by eleven. I don't set an alarm clock ever. I never schedule anything before nine a m, so I usually sleep until about seven thirty. Um, and I mean, I, I take that uh, beam dream every night before I go to sleep, but I have the temperature go down to sixty six degrees sleep in a super dark environment. If I'm traveling, I'll bring a sleep mask with me, especially <laughs> if I'm sleeping in a city with a lot of light. Um, we have a chili pad, which is one of those temperature yeah. controlled pads you put under your mattress. Um, I set that on the lowest temperature. Um, I wear earplugs at night. Um, the teaspoon of honey is something that a lot of people have never heard of. And you know, if your mind is racing at night, that's magnesium and a teaspoon of honey. Are some good things to try to, uh, you know, stop your mind from continuing to work. Um, one of the big things too is I don't like doing late night activities. I very rarely go out to parties. Um, I don't like entertaining late at night. Um, I don't like being mentally on late at night. I feel like that always affects my sleep. So, you know, if you're highly stimulated right before bed, um, you're not going to sleep well. So that's another another hack, but. Yeah, cool, dark environment and wearing earplugs has been a game changer for me to get deep sleep.
0: I I had a trip to Barbados with a client. He's got a a lovely house there by the beach on the the edge of the harbor. We were probably training about two or three hours a day. We were starting at 5.30. We were on the bike at 6 to get out before it got too hot. Um, We get back, have breakfast. We have no TV. We were both working. Uh, he's probably a, a similar spirit to you in terms of entrepreneur and sort of that sort of lifestyle he's carved out for himself. We would go for an afternoon swim uh, as the sun went down. So we'd have half an hour. So running and biking in the morning, some time in the air conditioned gym, midday, afternoon swim, play around, you know, maybe a K, go to the yacht club so you can swim there, um, walk up the steps, have a beer or a fruit juice, and then swim across to his house. And then we'd sit and We'd sit and we'd have lunch and we'd sit at about one o'clock, sit under the, sit under the lanai. And then in the evening, we'd sit outside uh, under the stars and have dinner and then sit there talking until half past nine. There was no TV. There was no entertainment. I think we went out for dinner twice in the three weeks we were there. I had my, I had my highest HRVs. I had my best sleep. I had my best recovery scores there, despite the heat, despite the obvious dehydration, despite the training. And when I tried to recreate that, when I came back, and, and then reflect on it, it seemed like it was the harmonious environment we were living in, the, distract, the lack of distractions, the lack of other things that get in the way of your recovery that, that sort of um, put you into fight or flight rather than rest and digest. Yep. And uh, we, we spoke numerous times about this and how to try and create that atmosphere and environment as we got home. And we're still working on that. It's, it's, it's quite difficult when you have all of those tiny little distractions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, your environment is so key to your ability to live a life of health and wellness. And, you know, like here in, in Moab, Utah, you've been here, there's not a lot of options for nightlife. You know, everything is based around being outside, which mm-hmm. I truly believe we were we were designed that way, going back to our ancestors, cavemen. We're designed to move and move outside. Mm-hmm. Um, we're designed to, you know, go to sleep when the sun sets and wake when the sun rises we weren't designed to have these huge, you know, networks and we weren't designed to like take in all of the stimuli of a city. So, you know, I'm, I'm not knocking city life. I've lived in cities and, you know, I, I've enjoyed like all of the people I've been able to meet and the opportunities that can arise from cities, but you know, cities really disrupt a lot of our ancestry. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, if you want to truly thrive, from a health and wellness standpoint, it makes a lot more sense to be in the country. Um, It makes more sense to have less stimuli around you. It makes sense to, you know, be in a quiet place where there's not a lot of lights and, you know, it makes sense to be in a place where you don't have a lot of like indoor entertainment options and you have a smaller network of people.
0: Let's, um, that's, I appreciate you sharing that with us, Eric. It's been a really interesting insight into your lifestyle and, and, um, You know, how you maintain that balance and find the things that you want to do rather than being sort of dragged along into other people's sort of lifestyles, if you like. I'm interested to chat a little bit about your Instagram influencing. Um, It seems to me that if you want to get a good following these days, and I might might be um, being a bit churlish here, but it seems to me if you want to get a good following these days, you've got to take your shirt off, whether you're male or female. You know, I see, I see female athletes that have got their crop tops on, and they're, you know, they're in good condition, but they seem to have a lot more followers than those who uh, who, who post other stuff. Is uh, have you found that to be the case too? Is is, uh, is that what Instagram's all about? It's about you know people that have great bodies get more followers than people who don't.
1: I mean, cap- captivating imagery is certainly going to you know help you g- draw interest to your account. It's going to draw eyeballs. But to maintain a following, I think it's about, you know, providing some kind of value to your audience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes, I'm often posting pictures in, you know, beautiful places with a surreal landscape. And I mean, I truly do live most days with my shirt off, (laughs) because I'm exercising and I'm outside in the, you know, in the hot sun. So um, yeah, that's going to draw eyeballs. But, you know, ultimately, like, what value are you providing? And, And it doesn't have to be knowledge. I mean, there's value in entertainment. There's value in making people laugh. There's, you know, value in being vulnerable. So there's a lot of different ways you can provide value. Um, but I, I truly believe that the the algorithm is moving towards that because, you know, now it's it's so much more based around people that are resharing your content and saving your content rather than like liking and commenting on your content. So in order to to make those two things happen, you know, it needs to be something that people want to share and people want to save and remember and interact with. So I think those are the keys now. And the more niche you can be, the better off. Um, Just because there's, you know, there's so many people out there that want to be in that space. So, you know, if you can figure out like, what can I be one of the best in the world at? You know, how can what is my unique value that I can provide to the world? Um, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be a step ahead of anyone else that's just posting pretty pictures. And I mean, so much of what I do is um, I work with brands where I can help them build their ambassador program. So you know, behind the scenes, I'm introducing them to other ambassadors, I'm hosting these in-person events on a regular basis. Sweat crawls, which are basically like a a bar crawl, but we're going from fitness studio to fitness studio in different cities. And you know, I'm looping in all of the brands I work with, and they're giving away their their products and services. Um, I'm providing a lot of content for them to use on on their feed that they can use um, for uh, advertising, promotional purposes, introducing them to distribution channels. So I'm acting more like a consultant, and that that's what I've found like with my network, how I can really you know, be a unique influencer in in this space is by being a consultant to these brands and not thinking I'm going to move the needle. So with the uh, influencer marketing, I am acting more like a consultant with the brands that I work with. Um, I'm introducing them to other ambassadors. So helping them build out their brand ambassador program. I'm creating content that they can use on their feed and they can use for advertising um, on their feed. I'm introducing them to distribution channels. Um, I'm doing in-person events. So we do these sweat crawls in different cities, uh, like a bar crawl, but we're going from fitness studio to fitness studio with a group of people. Um, so that's the unique niche I found for myself in this world of influencer marketing is you know really being a consultant to the brands and not thinking that just by posting you know a picture on social media is really going to move the needle for them. And I mean, ultimately, that's what it comes down to is like, am I moving the needle for these companies because they want return on investment? And for my audience, I like to work with brands that others have not heard of. I feel like I can add some value by exposing Uh my audience to the, you know, the latest and greatest in um, health and wellness apparel and nutrition and recovery. Um, So Yeah, that's that's the way I like to think of it. And does do the brands fit in with my lifestyle? I I don't want this to feel like work. It was never I never intended for this to be a a job. I'm grateful that it has become a a job, but I very much want it to just weave in with my lifestyle. Um, you know, so it doesn't feel like work and so it's super authentic. When I'm watching
0: some of your videos, it 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 looks like you've had to go to a certain amount of trouble and effort to set the scene for those. Um some of the running and activity shots when you're out in the desert or in in the woods looks like you've got the camera set back or you've got somebody videoing you. you do you have a cinematographer that comes along and films you or do you set that up yourself and then just make sure that you're doing some activity that's going across the frame of the camera
1: yep um so uh the desert shots that you might see my girlfriend she comes with me on a lot of these adventures and you know she helps me with a lot of the video creation I have a drone that has auto-follow, so oftentimes I'm just using the auto-follow feature on on my drone when I'm out. Um, Any of the videos I'm posting of my workouts in the gym, I'm just setting my phone up next to a kettlebell and, you know, recording my gym session, recording the movement that I'm doing in the moment. Um, And then oftentimes, you know, it's what what I'm doing that day. Uh, Very rarely am I, you know, trying to really stage something. You know, if we're going off on a beautiful hike, sure we're going to bring the camera equipment with us. But you know, we're just shooting it as we're doing the hike. Um, I don't like pre-planning things. I like you know letting life happen and and documenting much more than you know like staging.
0: Are you using some uh, specific types of uh, cameras for that work, or are you just using a GoPro and your phone?
1: Yeah, so I have a GoPro nine. That's what I use for a lot of my mountain biking and off-road activities. Um, I have a, the iPhone 12. I mean, the new iPhone is incredible for video and photos. I have a Sony a seven R four camera. It's a 60 megapixel camera, um, for still shots. And I have the Mavic air two drone, um, that'll capture any of the, you know, auto follow stuff and aerial footage.
0: Yeah. You, you haven't gone for a, one of these super duper SLRs that does video as well, then
1: I haven't No, It's just, it. I don't like doing things on a computer. So I try to keep everything like what can I do on my phone easily? Uh, Um, I don't want to wait a long time to, you know, sync stuff over. So I usually am shorting, uh, shooting pretty short video clips. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time editing and laboring over it. It's really more about just uh, documenting, you know, life and then, you know, basically posting it in the moment. Well, When people have listened to this far, Eric, I I
0: can imagine they can be forgiven for thinking you've got a dream life. However, you've just said that you're 41. You're doing a lot to uh, create longevity, I'm sure. Uh, It seems that you're involved in the same project as me to uh, improve health span rather than lifespan and come roaring into the grave uh, at 100 miles an hour shouting "Yeah, that was a great ride, which is my big ambition. Um, But there must be stuff that's still left on your bucket list um, events that you'd like to do, uh, things that you'd like to accomplish. Uh, can you tell us one or two of the things that are right at the very top there?
1: Sure. So, I mean, the the newest project for for Sarah and I is this property in Moab, which um, we're going to run as a bed and breakfast, but we're going to call it a stay and play. So, we're going to be hosting people uh, to come to Moab and you know live our lifestyle while they're here. Um, so you know, adventures, cycling, hiking, paddle sports. Um, Sarah is a chiropractor. So she's going to do chiropractic work and energy work and, you know, kind of walk people through being mindful about their nervous system um, and setting goals and manifesting things. So, you know, we, we want to help people in person. And we want to, you know, help people live their perfect days and you know hopefully by them being here with us in person some of that rubs off on them so yeah that's our that's our next chapter of of what we're looking to do and you know ultimately I'm very much a day-to-day person like I love my days and you know I, I truly believe if you can figure out your perfect day if you can replicate it and you can figure out how to monetize a portion of it you're you're living the dream
0: Wow it's amazing Eric come I'm, I'm so glad we caught up i uh, I'm impressed with your life i think that there'll be a lot of people that, that are listening that are thinking yeah I'd, li- I'd like to do that but i can't but of course you can if you want can't you if you want something enough you you can move towards it you might not get exactly perfect but um everything's within your grasp if you understand what you can control and what you can't and then start to maneuver the things that you can control
1: so true yeah i mean ultimately it's being mindful and there was a period of time in my life where you know i wrote down All of the energy drains. I wrote down all of the times throughout the day, all of the people, all of the environments that I wasn't present. You know, I was thinking about other things. I was anxious. I had stress around those things. And then I started writing down, like, what are all of the things where I'm completely present and in the moment? And I built my day around presence. I truly believe that presence is a superpower. And, you know, presence is what makes us super happy in life. So, you know, what were those activities? What were those environments? Who were those people? where I was super present and, you know, just continuing to do those things and be around those people and be in those environments where I'm the best version of myself.
0: The one thing I was going to say is uh, there's always a a lot of accusations that um, most of the stuff that gets put up on Instagram is not a true depiction of somebody's life. It's photoshopped, it's changed, it's the one moment in their day when they are in the dream and the rest of the day is sort of a bit drudgery and uh, and boring. Uh, It doesn't sound like that for you it does sound like that is actually how you live your life and it's a true reflection of what you're doing
1: every day yeah that that is true uh you know i mean don't get me wrong there are bad days there are things that happen there are you know life's a roller coaster ride but you know for me i've i've i know those things i can do to get myself out of you know uh uh, the bad energy Um, and also, you know, doing like the heat and cold by subjecting yourself to some of these stressors on your nervous system, you are training your nervous system to handle bad stressors well. So, you know, very few things like really disrupt my day now because I just kind of take them in stride. And, you know, it's from training my nervous system to be able to do that, but also understanding that, like, if I go off for an hour run, you know, I'm gonna feel pretty good after that, and whatever's bothering me you know, it's no longer going to be bothering me. If I do, you know, hot and, and cold exposure, whatever was bothering me is going to be wiped away. I mean, these things just, they create peace within my mind. Well, it's uh, What is it now? It's lunchtime where
0: you are, isn't it? So what's what's on your agenda for this afternoon's workout?
1: This afternoon, is probably going to be a mountain bike ride. Excellent. I've, I've been mountain
0: biking in Moab. That, that sandstone's super gripping that you can ride on a 45 degree angle and just, just, keep the bike straight it's lovely
1: it is super grippy yeah i mean the riding here is is breathtaking you're just looking at canyons and mountains in the distance and all of the trails and yeah it ranges from that slick rock riding to you know single track desert riding and then if you go up into the lasalle mountains you're on dirt single track riding through aspen trees so kind of have it all here
0: Nice. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great to catch up again and um, continue enjoying your life. And hopefully next time I'm in the US, I'll get a chance to um, pop in and say hello at your new property.
1: We'd love to host you here.
0: So great catching up with you, Simon. Thank you, Eric Hinman. You've been an absolute legend. Thank you to Eric for joining me on this week's High Performance Human Podcast. You can find links to everything we chatted about in the show notes below. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the High Performance Human podcast on iTunes and get new episodes as they become available each week. Oh, and while you're there, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Right, that's all for this week. We'll be back in seven days' time with another great guest. But for now, stay healthy and please stay focused on being a high-performance human in every aspect of your life.